0: Good morning. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And that is correct, chapter 11. Uh, If you weren't here, I gave the wrong text last week, so people were confused. Uh, Chapter 11 of Hebrews, uh, we'll be looking at verses one And two, Hebrews was written to Christians who, in light of rising persecution, were tempted to drift from Christ and thus deny him. Last week, our text called us to persevere in faith to remember the past in order to stand firm in the present. Remember God's faithfulness then so that your faith is built now in order to face whatever difficulties life has. The righteous shall live by faith. The Christian life is a life of faith from beginning to end. Faith is for all of life, past, present, and future. And today's sermon continues that idea of uh, uh, persevering in the faith in the midst of persecution. Last week, recall the past. Uh, Today, we look at how faith enables us to see the future with certainty. Look with me at Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation faith believes what god says in his word it's an assurance a confidence that god is truthful What does faith do? It believes that God will bring about what he has revealed and what he has promised in the Bible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's really only a a, a partial definition of what faith is. In fact, it's more a picture of what faith is does. It sees and believes what God says as though it is real. In fact, it knows that it is real because God has said it. Our faith sees the fulfillment of God's promises through Christ as a sure thing. It is through this faith that We believe the gospel and and thus inherit eternal life. And it is the same faith which enables us to persevere to the end instead of shrinking back from Christ and committing apostasy as as we were warned in chapter 10. And so uh, uh, this morning before we talk about this description of faith, Let's consider uh, perhaps a a more full understanding of what faith is as sort of a background. What is faith? In the history of theology, there is uh, this helpful distinction of the three aspects of faith, three things that make up biblical faith. Knowledge, belief, and trust. First, knowledge. Uh, It's it's information. Gospel means good news. What is the good news we are to believe? What, What is this cognitive content that we're to grasp? Years ago I was leading a, a community fellowship and I don't remember how we got this to this point in the conversation, but we were talking about sharing our faith with friends and loved ones. And uh, someone in the group said, I don't really share the gospel. I don't talk the talk, I walk the walk, meaning that they tried to live their life as a true Christian, demonstrating uh, an ethics and a morality and a lifestyle consistent with Christianity, that somehow he was different. And on one level, that is commendable. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to say, yes, I am a Christian, and then live like the world. The, The problem is that perspective was incomplete. Yes, people need to see the gospel is real in our life, but they need to hear the gospel too. In uh, Romans 10, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on the one they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear unless someone proclaims it? Faith involves believing something. What information content do people need to hear in order to believe the gospel? It's that God became man. He lived and he died as a payment for our sin. That's what they need to hear. Faith involves knowledge, a certain amount of information. But it also involves what is called assent, meaning belief that that said knowledge is actually true. We have knowledge of lots of things, some of which we don't think is true. Do you believe that the gospel is true? Do you really believe that God, who became a man, lived a perfect life and then died in our place? Do you believe that his death is sufficient for your sin. That he was not only dead and buried, but that God raised him up on the third day and that he ascended and he is now enthroned in glory, ruling his kingdom. And that one day, he is coming again. Some might say, well... I believe Jesus is a great teacher and I believe that he is a a wonderful moral example. My friends, that is not enough. That is not saving faith. Yes, Jesus is a great teacher. And yes, he is a wonderful example, but he is more than that. He lived and he died and he was raised as a sacrifice of sin. And there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. If you do not believe that Jesus died to pay for sins as a true fact, then you do not have saving faith. Knowledge of the gospel, assent or belief that the gospel is true are aspects of faith, but they are not enough. In James 2, we're told that the demons believe, they know the truth, they know who Jesus is, and they know what he did is true. It says they believe and they even shudder, but they're not saved. They do not have saving faith. True biblical saving faith is more than mere assent. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. We have knowledge of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done. We have belief that the gospel is true. What else is necessary? What more do we need? The third aspect is trust. You know it, you believe it. Are you trusting that for your salvation? Do you trust in Christ and what He accomplished? Are you trusting what you say you believe? Or. Are you trusting in something else? Can you honestly say this morning, I have no hope in my own righteousness? For there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Lots of people do good things, lots of people go to church. They know the Jesus story, and, and they even give some form of assent in some at least obscure sense. They think of themselves as okay because they're good people who attend, give, and serve, and, and those things are good things. But those good things cannot save us. They cannot pay for sin. They cannot make up for all the things that we've done that are wrong. We must come to the end of ourselves. We must see our need for a savior and find our hope in Christ and him alone. Are you trusting in Christ or something else this morning? Uh, B.B., I was thinking of you, Paul, when I wrote down this quote. Uh, B.B. Warfield, who was a professor at Princeton Seminary at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, wrote this, the saving power of faith resides not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. It is not strictly even faith that saves, but it is Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith, or the attitude of faith, or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. This morning, you may have strong faith. You may have weak faith. You may have little faith. You may have great faith. The power of faith is not in faith itself. The power of faith is in its object. And what is our faith in? It's in the saving, our saving faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. If we are saved this morning, we have knowledge, we have assent or belief, and we also have trust in the person of Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has done in our behalf. For Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for us. Christ is the one who saves. Faith simply connects us to the person of Christ and his saving benefits. Through faith, we are united to Christ, and so that we are one with him. That's something worth meditating on daily, because that's even beyond comprehension. How am I one with Christ? According to the Bible, through faith, you are one with Christ. And so all the benefits that he earned through his life, death, and resurrection now belong to you as well. Think of Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ, union with him by faith, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We haven't experienced all of those blessings yet, but they're ours. All the benefits of salvation belong to Christ and are given to us through faith. It's our justification. Through faith, we are declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ is imputed or credited to us. By faith, we are sanctified, set apart, and growing to be more and more like Christ. And by faith, we will be glorified. We will be made perfect when we see Christ face to face. And by faith, we persevere now because it's the spirit of God in us who perseveres. It's not of ourselves or our own strength, but the Spirit of God working in us. It's one of the benefits that is ours through faith union with Christ. Which is the very context of these Jewish Christians in our text. The Holy Spirit will persevere in those united to Christ by faith. We Heard last week in Matthew 24, Jesus said, The one who endures, the one who perseveres to the end, is the one who will be saved. The one who endures to the end gives evidence that the Spirit has been working in their heart. Where does this saving faith come from? It's a grace from God he gives us a new nature he he causes us to be born again and so that we will believe and trust in Christ in Acts 16 uh, Paul is preaching in Philippi and in verse 14 it says a woman named Lydia was listening to Paul preaching She was a seller of purple uh, fabrics from uh, the city of Thyatira. She was a worshiper of God. And then it says this. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. As the gospel was preached... The Holy Spirit worked in Lydia's heart, opened it up, gave her eyes to see, caused her to be born again. She was regenerated. Regeneration is the the technical term, the theological term for being born again. And at her Regeneration, she receives this new nature, and this new nature loves God, believes God, and trusts God. And that is ours. It's who we now are. We're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. The new things have come, and the new things is faith and trust in Jesus. John tells us in his first epistle that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again by God saving faith is not something we need to work up in ourselves faith is something that we can nurture once we have it but we we can't work hard enough to obtain it because it's a gift it comes from God It's born us by the Spirit of God. And this born-again, new-nature faith produces fruit in our life. Because it's a living and active faith. It produces good works. What does the Bible tell us in James 2? Faith without works is what? Dead. James says, what good is it if someone says they have faith? Lots of people say they have faith. Do you believe in? Oh, yeah. What good is it if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can that faith save them? And James says, no. Not because faith is insufficient, but because that person has no saving faith. good works that James talks about are not the grounds or the means of salvation, but they are the evidence that one is saved. Saving faith is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who gives us a new nature and gives us saving faith produces good works in our life. As an evidence that we have the Spirit and we have a new nature. So if a person has no good works, does that person have the Holy Spirit? Big question mark there, isn't there? And if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have saving faith. They are still in their sin and lost. And so this morning, if you've come and you say, I have faith, But your life isn't marked by love for God and His righteousness. The Bible calls you to examine yourself. We're not talking perfection. Everyone can't be wonderful like I am. (laughs) Ask Jennifer, I am, aren't I? We know we're not perfect, but we're not the people we were before. And we get disappointed in ourselves. And we all struggle with certain sins. And each of us has one or two sins that we think we had victory over it, but. Every once in a while, it rears its ugly head again, which tells us that we still need dependence on God, that the battle's not over, that we still need faith to believe. The amazing thing is, and I'm assuming this is true for you because it's true for me, uh, those sins that you tend to fall into I think it was Dana and I were just talking about that this week in the office. You feel stupid afterwards, don't you? Because you think, how long will it take me to learn? This is this never pays off. This never ends well. Somehow, you know, whether it's pride or anger or or self, whatever the, your issue is, you know, it promises satisfaction. and it always disappoints. God help me not to believe the lie. Help me to hate sin. Help me to love righteousness. We need faith leading towards good works. Hey man, I thought this was all about grace. Why are we talking about good works? It is a grace of God, but the indwelling spirit leads to a changed life. And some people grow faster than others. The point isn't to compare yourself to someone else, but what is, are you responding to the urgings and the correction of God in you and in his word? It is grace. But think of uh, this well-known verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We all know it. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't that wonderful good news? That salvation is a gift Of God's grace not on the basis of how I've lived my life or my good works I have nothing to boast that's what it says in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 Ephesians 2 verse 10 the very next verse for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works do not save us. They are also part of God's gift that are ours through union with Christ. They're part of the the benefits of our salvation, a changed life. And one of those very first fruits One of those very first good works is repentance. In Mark's gospel, how does Jesus begin his earthly ministry? By preaching, repent and believe the gospel. Faith and repentance should never be separated, they're they're really two sides of the same coin. Why are they tied together? When God opens our hearts to believe, what's the first thing that happens as he gives us this new nature and this new faith? We see ourselves as sinners. We see our need for a savior. Now, I'm not saying you have to be crying or broken in that sense. Uh, I I remember, um, I think it was Spurgeon, Uh, How much repentance is enough? Enough to move you from sin to Christ. God opens our heart and we see our need. And we turn to Christ finding forgiveness. And in turning to Christ... We turn from sin. See the picture? We, repentance is turning what? Away from sin. Faith is turning to Christ. And so the two go together. We turn from sin and we turn to Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. And true repentance is an act of faith. Faith because it believes that forgiveness is possible. If we didn't believe that God would forgive us, that our sins could be paid for, we would never come to Christ. Faith enables us to see the beauty of Christ and to see the ugliness of our independence and our self-sufficient pride. And to repent turn from sin to follow Christ himself. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, uh, the, wor- the word faith is not a very common word. Though faith is all over the place. In fact, the, next, the rest of chapter 11 is what? Old Testament saints who are uh, people of faith. Faith in the Old Testament is often expressed in the ideas of trust and obey we trust god's character and we obey his word the object of old testament saints were, were, was the promises of god God promised salvation. And that salvation is fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And that's why the whole book of Hebrews has been warning Christians not to drift from Christ and go back to the Old Testament ways. The fullness of Christ has come. The promises that you were looking towards, the faithfulness of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you drift from him, then you deny him and you have no salvation. There is no other sacrifice for sin for you. Christ is... Is everything that God promised you. And if you go on sinning deliberately, drifting from Christ, then you are lost and there's no means of salvation for you. Repent of your sin, repent of your drifting from Christ, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Repent of your sin, of your unbelief. Faith leads to repentance, which bears fruit in obedience to God. Think about John the Baptist. John's baptism really was an Old Testament Baptism is a baptism of repentance. But do you remember what he said to the Pharisees who came to be baptized? They were doing it for show. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance isn't this one-time thing. There's a movement in the church today, in the broader church, that actually argues we should never repent. That God has for, that you're fully justified in Christ, and if you repent, you're questioning God's forgiveness. And, and you know, on what, I, I understand what they're saying. They they don't want to create a works mentality, but they're missing the beauty of repentance. Repentance isn't begging God as our judge to forgive us. Repentance, and I just skipped a whole section, so somehow I'm gonna have to rework this sermon in my head. (laughs) So I'm stalling. Um, When we repent, we're not going to God as our judge. Pleading with him to forgive us. We're going to our Father who loves us, and our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, help me. This is too heavy for me to carry. I can't do it on my own. I need you. That's a wonderful thing, that's what God wants. He wants us to know that we need him. Not because he he needs to feel needed, but because we do need him. And it's foolishness to think we don't. Our struggle with the same sin over and over again should tell us that. Left to myself, I'm an idiot. I really am. But so are you. <laughs> Repentance isn't this thing we do at the beginning of salvation and then forget about it the rest of the time. It's actually the means that God has given us to grow, it's acknowledgement of sin. We see it and we turn from sin to Christ. Lord, deliver me, not forgive me from eternal condemnation. He's already done that. Lord, deliver me from the bondage that I feel, not the bondage I'm in, because I have no bondage. I'm a Christian. I have been set free. I can obey, but it feels like bondage, and it's hard to resist. Help me, help me in my stupidity to know that this is stupid. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. Give me clarity. Help me to persevere and endure this moment. And you know what Satan does. Okay, okay, yeah. You you didn't give in this moment, but you know you're going to eventually because you always do. So why so work so hard to avoid it? Just be yourself, which our culture tends to feed. Help me not to listen up. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about the next moment. Each moment is a gift from God, and each moment is a moment of dependence on God by faith. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself how often? Daily. Daily take up his cross and follow me. That's repentance, daily repentance. It's interesting, uh, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg door in Germany. And he, he didn't intend to, but he started the Protestant Reformation. And it's interesting, that of these 95 theses, the very first one was not justification by faith, which is what he's known for. Nor was it the priesthood of all believers. Luther began his 95 thesis by saying this when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. That's the first thesis, because that's the beginning, isn't it? That's the first fruit of faith. Each day, we turn from our sinful tendencies and desires and turn to Christ. Last week, I mentioned the the Lord's Supper as an opportunity to proclaim Christ's death, not so much to the world, but to one another, to remind one another of a forgiveness that is found in Christ. But it's also an opportunity to repent, isn't it? Because each time we uh, uh, observe the Lord's Supper, The Bible calls us to what? Examine our heart. Is there sin in your life today that's clogging up the works? Don't take this with sin on your heart. It's an opportunity to examine ourselves afresh and to repent. Faith leads to repentance, and repentance is full of faith knowing as we turn from sin and to Christ, God will renew and will strengthen. Think back to uh, Hebrews 4, where uh, we're told that we have this high priest in Jesus Christ, so come to God's throne room with grace and confidence. Why? So we may find mercy when we deserve judgment, And find grace to help in our time of need. Come to the throne room with confidence to find mercy and grace to help. When do we need mercy and when do we need grace to help? When we're struggling with sin. Do you believe that God will help you in your time of need? Do you believe his mercies are new every morning? Do you doubt that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus? Do you question God's uh, love, his power, or his promises? The answer is the same, repent and believe. Verse one of our text, faith is the assurance, the substance of things hoped for. Faith gives gives substance to things that we don't yet see. We think this is all that there is, the things that we can see, touch, and feel, that this this is reality. There is so much more. And faith gives us eyes to see it. Right now, Christ is enthroned in glory, ruling his kingdom. We cannot see it, but faith sees it as true. God works all things together for good. Put it on a bumper sticker or a cup. But when you're suffering, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Real easy to do when you understand what's going on. It's when you don't understand and God says, Trust me. That's a time of repentance, that's a time of faith. Lord, I don't know how to. I'm scared hurting. I'm alone. I need help. Today we walk by faith and not by sight, but one day we will see Christ and that which is temporal will fade away and we will be sure of everything that we've had faith for. Because we have faith, we can see the future and believe it as true as though it was present right now. We persevere knowing that God is always faithful and he will accomplish what he has promised to do. Faith gives us this foretaste of the life that's yet to come. And so faith allows us to live in both good and bad times with a hope that that is firm and solid on the foundation of of Christ. That has always been true of God's people. Verse 2, for by uh, faith the people of old received their commendation. In fact, uh, uh, it starts off saying that, chapter 11. It's it's going to then list all these saints, and we all have read chapter 11. It ends up, and these people receive the commendation of God. This whole thing is meant to explain Old Testament saints received the blessing, the approval of God by faith, just like you and me. But just listen uh, briefly to some of them. This is uh, Hebrews 11:32 to 35a. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And all God's people said amen. That's the faith I want. Yeah, I'll clap to that. But the text goes on, doesn't it? We all want, I want to walk on water and raise the dead. Others, through the same faith, received mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. This one always gets me, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Hmm. I think I would prefer the first group. But we don't get to decide that, do we? God does. But the wonderful thing is humiliation and suffering is the road to glory. It's the path and the model that Jesus gives us. And so our hearts can cry out for something different. But faith says, like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done, O Lord. I would prefer ease and comfort, but through faith I will trust what God does in my life, what he deems as best. And even as I say those words, there's a little fear that grips my heart. I really mean that, Lord, but please don't let that happen. (laughs) Faith knows and believes and trusts God, and he is the one who enables us to persevere. Uh, About a week before he died from cancer, uh, Dr. Howard Griffith, who was a professor at uh, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary and a pastor in Washington, D.C., was uh, visited by a former student. And as they were sitting and talking, somehow they got on to the topic of, of Christian perseverance. And as uh, P- Professor Griffith struggled with pain, suffering, life, and death, This is how he defined perseverance. He told that young man, perseverance means God is going to get you through this. It is not you. My friends, faith says God will get you through this. Whatever this is. And it is not you. Will you pray with me? Our Father. Sometimes these truths can be easy to say, harder to live out. And so, Father, this morning we ask that your Spirit uh, would encourage your people that those times and those places that in ways that we need to repent that our hearts would be humbled that we would repent and that our hearts would cry out to you for help let us not see that as weakness but as christian strength as we lean upon you and we ask this in jesus name amen